Shalom, my name is Rachel Friedman and I am Associate Dean and Chair of Tanakh at Risha Institute. It is my honor and pleasure to share a few words of Torah with you today. The image of Amalek resonates in the rituals and the liturgy of Chag HaPurim. We read Parshat Zachor, which commands us to remember the initial attack of Amalek on the nation of Israel on the Shabbat before Purim, followed by the Haftarah describing the war of King Shaul against Amalek. We read the actual story of the attack of Amalek on Purim morning, and Haman, the villain of Megillat Esther, is called Ha'agagi, a descendant of Amalek. Given the prominence of the Amalek theme to the celebration of Purim, it's useful to closely explore the original story as it's reported in the book of Exodus, in the book of Shabbat. Exodus 17, 8 through 13, the traditional Torah reading for the morning of Purim, tells the story of the attack of Amalek on the nation of Israel less than two months after the exodus from Egypt. Amalek was a nomadic group of tribes that inhabited the Negev, the Negev and the Sinai Peninsula, and it appears to have relied on seasonal migrations and raiding expeditions for its sustenance. The attack of Amalek is unprovoked, and it occurs in a location called Rifidim, in the vicinity of Mount Sinai. According to the biblical timetable, the war takes place shortly before the revelation on Har Sinai on Mount Sinai. A close reading of the biblical account reveals that the Hebrew root yad, or hand, yud dalid, is a key word in the Amalek story. For example, Exodus 17.9 tells us that Moshe charges Yehoshua to fight Amalek in the field while Moshe himself goes up the hill with the staff of God in his hand. Later, the progress of the battle is described in light of the experience of Moshe's hands. And the text tells us that it came to pass that when Moshe held up his hand, the nation of Israel prevailed. And when Moshe let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moshe's hands were heavy, and they took a stone, and they put it under him, and he sat on the stone, and Aaron and Hur steadied his hands on one side and on the other side, and his hands were steady until the setting of the sun. Now, the obvious question is, why does the text emphasize Moshe's hands in the Amalek story? And why the switch from a description of Moshe's hand in the singular in verse 11 to Moshe's hands in the plural in verse 12? In the initial stages of the battle, Moshe charges Yehoshua to actively fight the enemy, while Moshe himself ascends the hill with the Mateh Elohim, with the staff of God in his hand. Apparently, at this juncture, Moshe saw two possible paths to victory. Victory might come on the one hand, as it had at the splitting of the Red Sea, through a supernatural miracle brought forth by Moshe's extending the staff of God in his hand. But victory might also come through the military talents of Yehoshua, the future conqueror of the land of Canaan. 
And so as a prudent leader should, Moshe prepares for both possibilities. He sends Yehoshua to the battlefield, while he, Moshe, ascends the hill with the rod which had in the past brought forth supernatural miracles. But once the battle began, Moshe realized that no miracle was forthcoming from the staff of God in his hand. But the raising of Moshe's hand was nonetheless affecting the course of the war. The Talmud in Rosh Hashanah 29a understands this as follows. And when Moshe held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Now, did the hands of Moshe make or break the war? Not so. Rather, the text signifies that so long as Yisrael directed their thoughts above and subjected their hearts to their Father in heaven, they prevailed. Otherwise, they would fall. This Talmudic conception of Moshe's role as that of a human leader who inspires his people during a natural war, rather than as the performer of an overt miracle, is consistent with the text as a whole. In the War of Amalek, there is no command by God to perform a miracle. Furthermore, the text deliberately emphasizes that Moshe is subject to ordinary human frailties. His hands grew heavy. He needed to sit on a stone, and he needed the support of Aaron and Hur on each side so that his hands remained steady until the setting of the sun. The Talmudic premise that Moshe's hands symbolize his inspiration may help us understand the textual switch from Moshe's hand in the singular to his hands in the plural. This change represents Moshe's own redefinition of his leadership role during the War of Amalek. Moshe realized that his task was not to effect a miracle by brandishing a rod with a dramatic gesture, but to draw the thoughts of the nation of Israel consistently toward God in heaven. And so he raised both hands, keeping them steady until the sun set. It's the ultimate challenge of an effective leader, not only to prepare for all contingencies, as Moshe did in his division of labor between himself and Yehoshua, but rather, a successful leader is one who adapts his intended course of action as the demands of a situation crystallize. This is a critical lesson which emerges from the changing hands of Moshe's leadership in the story of Amalek. In the war of Amalek, Moshe has to play the role not of a miracle worker, as he had until that historical moment, but of a leader who inspires and a leader who prays in the context of a natural war. In an essay entitled Leadership at the Turn of the Century, John Cotter distinguishes between leadership and management. Management, he suggests, is about maintaining the status quo, but leadership is about coping with change. Times of change are moments of opportunity for great leaders. They demand strength and initiative and vision and the ability to persuade others to alter the status quo in response to an urgent challenge. The essential quality of a leader as opposed to a manager is to acknowledge change and lead change among one's followers. This was the position in which Moshe found himself during the Amalek episode. The Amalek scenario didn't fit neatly into the current status quo. The Israelites would have to fight a naturalistic war without the aid of overt miracles, just as they would soon have to learn to conquer and defend the land of Canaan through this worldly means. Moshe recognized that the functional role of his staff was no longer as a magic wand, but as a tool of guidance and motivation. 
And through his leadership, a mass of weary slaves was transformed into a victorious army. Of course, in the real world, no good leader can work alone. And this is the message of the story of Amalek as well. Moshe needs Yehoshua to take charge of the battle in the field, and Moshe needs Aaron and Hur to support his arms so that he may guide the warriors to victory. The picture of Moshe supported on each side by his two trusted confidants, Aaron and Hur, as he raises his hands continuously to heaven, is a perfect metaphor for the need of a leader to recruit, to recruit a core group of supporters who, shares, who share values and vision. Only then will he be able to pierce, persevere until the setting of the sun, that is, until the job is done. The story of Purim, like the story of Amalek, its attack on a fledgling nation of Israel, is the story of human response to a changing reality. The Megillah doesn't even mention God's name, let alone tell of supernatural miracles. God brings about Israel's salvation through the versatile, creative leadership of Mordechai and Esther. Though Mordechai had earlier forbidden Esther to reveal her Jewish identity to King Ahasuerus, he changes course and asks Esther to reveal her ancestry to the king of Persia because who knows, Esther, if it is for this very reason that you have risen to royalty. The stories of Amalek and Purim mirror those of our lives today. Unlike the Israelites of the Exodus period, we no longer experience prophecy and revelation and overt miracles. It's all the more important, therefore, that we choose leaders with vision to guide us through periods of uncertainty, whether like Moshe, who recognizes that he must guide the Israelites with inspiration and prayer, rather than through an overt miracle. Or like Mordechai, who rescinds his instruction to Esther about hiding her identity, our leaders must embrace an ever-changing reality with both conviction and creativity. Like the Israelites fighting on the lake, they must look to Moshe's hands for inspiration. They must remember that a great leader is defined not only by unwavering devotion, but by the ability to adjust to changing realities, even as his eyes are turned steadily towards heaven. Chag Purim Sameach and Shabbat Shalom.